Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at the most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Ransomware is one of the greatest threats to business in cyberspace right now. We've seen attacks affect thousands of computers and cost organizations tens of thousands, possibly even millions in ransoms, remediation costs and other expenses. Naturally, a lot of the focus is on detecting and preventing ransomware attacks. But what should organizations do if or when an attacker gets through? Not all ransomware is targeted and potentially any organization could be caught up in a ransomware incident. The impact of WannaCry on the UK's National Health Service is just one example. So organisations need to be prepared. And this episode looks at what that preparation could look like. Our guest is Ed Williams, Director of Trustwave Spider Labs EMEA and an acknowledged expert in this space. We started by asking him why ransomware is still growing. sort of indiscriminate in the way these ransomware um, sort of services are used. So you can get ransomware as a service now, which is which is why we're seeing this proliferation. Um, with, and the, what is interesting, actually, is the entry points. The entry points haven't changed over the last five, ten years. What has changed is the sophistication of the ransomware as a service and the ability to industrialise that. Um, so, you know, when we see phishing, password guessing, exploit vulnerability and email-based tax. Those are your normal four or five top vectors of getting in. So it's just the ability to industrialize that at scale. And then you can push that out, obviously, to the internet. And if you're lucky, you know, you're going to hit something. Um, and more often, you're lucky than not. The acceleration is, is, is definitely happening. And I think that is in part to, we're still seeing lots of, you know, what I would call low fruit, low-hanging fruit vulnerabilities. Um, the adoption of the cloud is helping this ransomware as a service. Um, so the ability to, to quickly create infrastructure, deploy your ransomware as a service service, um, and then get that up and running, get your Bitcoin and cash away after or your data, tear that down, and then just go again is, is helping it. Um, the fact that we as an industry can't patch quickly enough is... It's heartbreaking, I would describe it. The fact that we're still seeing services with weak passwords, again, is a failure on us as an industry. Um, the fact that phishing is still a thing is, again, very disappointing. Um, so there's a number of different failures. And a lot of it is, is on the industry, is on you know, me and my team and the industry at large. And to what extent, though, are companies reporting these attacks? Because, again, there is a tendency, isn't there, to try to keep this quiet? We see two sides of that. We see the organisations that report it and have got good, you know, good practices around that. And then on the flip side, then we also see organisations who are uh, maybe a little more immature or less mature, if I can put it that way, in how they deal with cyber at, at a broad level. You know, they don't want to be seen to be hit by ransomware, they don't want to be seen to be to be you know the, the, the weaklings. So there's there's definitely two different strands to that. I think they're converging. I think that because we see so much ransomware, 
we're actually seeing okay, everybody's getting hit. It's probably you know we're not we're not being targeted. It's more generic. So we're seeing a convergence. I would say in in the way that things are being reported and the way they're being um, they're being managed. Um, there's definitely a lot of emphasis from what I'm seeing at board level around ransomware readiness. You know pen testing, business continuity planning, all the things that people should be doing. You mentioned playbooks earlier, certain ransomware-related playbooks. That is happening. Um, but if you can't patch, if you can't make sure that weak passwords are removed, then you, you know, you're always going to be on the back foot. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of this is indeed basic security measures that all organisations should be taking. And those that perhaps are, are not are going to be less willing to discuss in public that they have been attacked. We've looked in some detail at the phenomenon. We've looked at what's driving it, who's behind it, who stands to gain from it. Um, but the part that, that often gets overlooked, uh, and I think this ties in with work that you've been doing at Spider Labs, is actually looking at the aftermath. So it's what happens subsequent to the attack. And it's about this planning and resilience, building in the ability to recover. Talk us through in the first instance, talk us through how a ransomware attack uh, would actually operate. And what would that look like for the people at the receiving end, for the people trying to combat that incident in the security team? What we need to do is to boil it down to initial access, then the sort of consolidation and preparation phase, and then there's the, the actual impact on the target. So the initial access, as I mentioned earlier, it's normally one of three or four things. It's password guessing, you know, which you can automate. It's exploiting vulnerabilities, again, which you can automate at scale across large swathes of the internet. And there's like email type-based attacks, and that could be phishing or general malicious documents coming in. So you know, the, the trigger will be one of those things has happened. So the blue team or the SOC, who's ever responsible, needs to be on the lookout for things that are abnormal. Now, that's very easy for me to say because ransomware, as it gets more sophisticated, becomes, they blend into normal traffic. Um, they're very skilled at doing that. Um, so you really need, as a, as a SOC and a business, you really need to understand how your data flows through an organization, who normally accesses what at what times. And there's tooling for that. And then you can, you can layer on then um, some intelligence, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera, on top of that. Once you've got a good handle on that, then what you're going to see is, as I mentioned, a consolidation and preparation phase from the, um, from the ransomware. So there'll be some sort of command and control. There has to be that communication back, back and forth. Um, and that can be via DNS, ICMP, some sort of HTTP, HTTPS. So again, it's looking for things that are abnormal. Uh, again, easy for me to say, there's tooling that can be put in place for that. And what, what you're going to see then very quickly is as the ransomware propagates through a network, is there's going to be privilege escalation and lateral movement at scale. Because once it hits one target, it's very quickly going to move. So there's, there needs to be that awareness in the blue team, in the SOC as to, oh, things are moving quickly. We need to identify an initial entry point. We need to lock down accounts quickly and we need to get all over it effectively. Then once, once that has happened, what then is the impact on the target? So probably one of three things that's going to happen. The first is probably some sort of data exfiltration. I think we've moved forward in terms of ransomware just encrypting hard drives. They're far cleverer than that now. What they'll do, they'll encrypt hard drives and they'll also shovel 
lots of data back through the command and control channel to their sort of entry point, which will probably be on the cloud somewhere. Um, that data is probably indiscriminate in what they're getting. They just get everything and then comb through it at a later point. Uh, backups are popular, spreadsheets, and they look for spreadsheets of certain sizes. So they can be very, you know, they can be sort of choosy in what they're doing. What they'll also look to do, and again, this is a malicious part of it, they'll identify backups um, and they'll destroy backups, which is very malicious. So this will be on-site um, hot backups. They do that. And then probably finally then they'll encrypt data. So they're stealing data, removing your ability to react quickly by destroying backups and then encrypting data, so which sort of disables your business. So those are the three things that we typically see. So for a blue team recovery, you need sort of stop gaps at, at every one of those points just to make it hard enough or for the hurdle to be high enough for, it, for them to get over that, you've got time to identify, respond and recover from that phase. So there's lots to be done. And as always, it's a moving target. It's a constant moving target. There's a delaying factor there, isn't there, in trying to give yourself some time? That is key. Yeah, you just need that one gap, that one sort of break point where, say, for example, um, they've got in, the ransomware is in into environment, but they can't um, escalate privileges. So, for example, it'll land on, say, a desktop or a device, but it can't get to the administrator, which is what it needs then to move laterally. If you can make that really hard by not sharing passwords, uh, making sure that the host is bang up to date, making sure that it's segregated properly so you can only access things that it needs. That will sort of contain it while it's going through all its cycles, trying to work out what it needs to do next. So then you can quickly identify what is happening on that host, um, effectively pull the plug, and then go back then to see how we got in and triage that way. So when you're considering the response to ransomware, then how how should you approach the timescale? Is it simply that you need to focus on the immediate response or potentially could you be looking at the aftermath uh, weeks, months, but even potentially further out than that? It depends on the business and how mature the business is, but certainly we've seen incidents that you know that it takes months to recover because there's you know there's loss of reputation with clients. You know, supply chain has been very much um, within the news recently. There's a hit on supply chain. If if you're part of a supply chain, you've been hit by ransomware, you're going to get a lot more questions and a lot more scrutiny, and you, you might even get your access cut off. So the, the initial um, thing to do would be to make sure you can try and get your business up and running as quick as possible. So I mentioned some of the impacts on targets or target. Uh, one of them is the destruction of backups. So it's really, really critical that there's off-site backups and the business continuity planning in place to be able to restore critical business needs within 24, 48 hours. And whether that's off-site with you know, key servers and services, or whether that's you, know, you pull parts of the infrastructure down, build it back up. But that planning needs to be in place and that needs to be tested thoroughly, you know, whether it's you know, every six months, every 12 months, you know, okay, we've been hit by ransomware, what do we do? That needs to be done all the time. That playbook needs to be refined continuously. So that's one element then. That's an ongoing piece of work, isn't there? But how would you then advise a board to break down the different areas of problems that ransomware can cause? Because, you know, we mentioned them already, reputational, uh, functional disruption, uh, financial consequences, um, possibly regulatory and pressure from the supply chain. There's all these different elements. So clearly this does go right up to, to the board level. But 
if you're looking at the aftermath, to what extent do you need the board to be involved in that? Should it be a separate group of people who are involved in planning this potentially, which they can then um, feed back into the business? How would you advise people to do it based on your experience? Having board buy-in is critical in terms of security, whether it's post-breach, pre-breach, you know, security in general, because it's a spend. It's always a spend until something happens. And then, then it's after the fact. So there's all you know. The return on investment is is actually really difficult to calculate. Um, and we see that you know we have discussions with senior execs saying, "Well, I'm paying X amount for X service, whether it's pen testing, DFA, ransomware readiness. Where's my return on investment?" And it, it never actually happens until something has happened. Um, and post um, breach. The, the budget seems to swell rather quickly. So it's making sure that senior execs, board members understand what the impact is. And you know, when we talk about data exfiltration, what I talk about is, you know, what are the what are the really critical business data that you've got? And and what would happen if that fell into the wrong hands? So whether it's personal information, whether it's some sort of um, pro- proprietary information to your business. Um, what would what would that look like if that fell into the wrong hands? You know, would there be an initial business hit? Would that then escalate down towards clients um, and, and other parts of the business? And once you start to speak about impact and risk, it's almost as if the penny drops, and then you sort of go down that chain that I mentioned on <clears throat> in terms of the impact. Okay, so you're losing your sensitive data, whatever that might be. You're not able to restore hot backups. You're then all your hosts are being encrypted. You know, you're suddenly then locked out of your business. You can't function as a business. Then once the board realizes that, then they start to appreciate how important um, the sort of the, the pre-work is, the pen testing, the ransomware readiness, having that DFA retainer in place, having a, a skilled and motivated SOC, whether that's on-site or remote, having tooling in place to be able to pick up you know, trends as to, you know, where people are signing in, how do they normally access certain services. So all those things make up what is a really complicated environment. But to to really re-emphasize, having board or management buy-in is critical. And I would argue that the CISO needs to report directly into that you know, these senior leadership team. Is this still being viewed, though, as primarily an IT security problem? Yes. 100%. 100%. And it isn't. For example, when we see uh, ransomware, it's it's predominantly phishing or somebody set a weak password or somebody's not done something. So yes, it is very heavily um, technologically dependent, but that's that's how ransomware works. But how, how it actually gets in and propagates is through errors. Um, you know, when I think about my background in pen testing, um, for, for you to penetrate an organization, you need probably two or three things to sort of go in your favor. You need somebody to set a weak password or somebody to have coded something correctly. So, yes, it is seen as a technological um, issue, but there's people and process, and they're, you know, they're equally weighted, in my opinion. And when we see organizations who are mature, they equally put an equal emphasis on the people, the process, and the technology. And that, that's how they win. And that's how they continue to keep their maturity up to date. 
Does there need to be a different approach to a ransomware incident to the more generalized approach or playbook that organizations have developed to security incidents such as data leaks and so on in the past? Is, is there specific changes that you would suggest they need to make? You know, speaking broadly, because you know, I would say that probably no two ransomware cases are the same in the way that they impact the business. You know, there are broad trends that we can see. You know, we, we know that initial access is one of five or six things, very, you know, speaking broadly, we know that the consolidation and preparation phase is three things. And the impact, um, broadly speaking, is one of three or four things. So there is, you know, if you've got your patching and your passwords, your risk to ransomware is going to decrease. And similarly, your risk to being targeted by, I don't know, nation states, um, you know, a motivated group for whatever reason they want to gain access, that is going to help as well. Um, so, Broad, broadly speaking, if you can get good policies and procedures in place, it's going to knock on you know, ransomware, nation state, if, if you're being targeted by those, and general sort of bad threat actors. So broadly speaking, um, it's the same fixes that we're looking at. So most of that would transfer across. But again, then you've got the the particular elements to do with the threat to release data uh, and the encryption yes. of data. So, so what we're seeing is obviously ransomware is sort of indiscriminate and it's very noisy. You know, you, you know when your hosts are being encrypted because a big message pops up. But what we're also seeing is if you're targeted by um, you know, a, a number of threat actors, they're less likely, well, they're not going to be noisy and they're going to be far more clinical in what they're doing. So it'll be far more targeted. There won't be all this noise around lateral removal and privilege escalation. You might even see a scenario we've seen ourselves where they'll gain access to an environment and do nothing for three months. We'll just purely observe where traffic goes, who does what, or they're looking for something and they're just waiting for a misconfiguration to happen. So there's, while they're too two extremes that they're, they're almost the flip of the same coin if that makes any sense if you've got good basics and, and, and I, I hate to call them the basics but the reason why they call the basics is because that's what's needed but they're actually really hard to get right at scale and to do them quickly um, so so to make sure that that you're upfront with your patching your passwords you've got good policies that's really hard to do but that is going to get you in front of you know, 80% of, of what's happening out there. No, absolutely. But what do you say then to people who argue that actually this is all fine because you can air gap your data? I've seen solutions where um, things have been air gapped and the reality is they're not air gapped because that actually makes business harder, day-to-day business for the organisation to, to move, you know, to move data. You know, we know data is the new oil. Many businesses rely on data as, as their business so to air gap is, is actually really difficult. Um, to segregate a network properly is really difficult because you really need to understand who has access to what, who needs that data and why they need it. All too often we see networks that are very broad in scope. There's, they're allowing limit, unlimited services back and forth. There's privilege and identity management is very loose. And these are hard things to do in large, complex environments. You know, when we think about it, we're still seeing organizations with Windows 2000, some we see with Windows NT, and given we're in 2021, that, you know, that is very difficult. And the question is, are we able to turn that off? Uh, no, we can't turn that host off. First of all, we don't actually know what it does. 
And if we did turn it off, we don't know what the business impact would be. So when we're still dealing with that, having a true air gap network where everybody knows where and what is going through is, is nigh on impossible, I would argue. So perhaps air gapping some data is possible, or they may having um, additional backups which are in an air gapped environment is possible, but it's it can't be your standard operating procedures. I, I would say, given the way um, the reliance now on cloud and data and data sharing and the way the way the world is going in twenty twenty one, it's really hard. Yes, you know the, the best computer you can have is five thousand feet underground with no network connectivity at all. But of course, it's no use to anybody. So, you know, computers, the, the beauty of them is they're able to do things at scale and be and it's distributed. The whole distribution is, is the problem. The ability to, to move laterally, to privilege escalate and then move laterally again to something else and then do something nasty with encrypted data or destroy backups. So there are parts of the network that you could um, air gap but then that's really difficult. It makes working harder. You know, somebody's going to have to be on site or will only get access to that, or they've got two laptops and it just, you know, complicates things. Where security works really well is when it's simple, um, is where people understand what they're doing, is when there's, you know, the principle of least privilege, people don't have excessive privileges and things are patched timely. Once that happens, security looks really easy but the whole machine to drive that is really complicated. So then if we go back to this whole question we started off with, which is the aftermath, then is it useful to start breaking that down into potentially sectors within the organisation and then looking at the impact on each of those? All too often it's seen as purely a technical problem or an IT problem, and, and it's not. Uh, but should all the different functional areas within the business be involved, whether that's uh, AHR, whether that's legal, whether that's you know, public relations, uh, finance and so forth, and should they all have a plan or does there need to be one overarching plan on top of that or indeed both of those things? From, from what, what I've seen from successful organisations who are mature in their security, it's it's both. So there's an overarching, almost generic um, sort of plan. And then there's nuances in between you know, finance because the way they hold data and need data is different to HR, for example. Um, so, so those nuances then are taken into consideration. And where, where organizations do really well is they do that, but then they're constantly refining. You know, as more and more um, infrastructure is built on the cloud, that plan is refined and changed um, to, to, to meet those changes. And you know, technology moves really quickly, very, very quickly. So constantly refining and redefining what that plan looks like is absolutely critical. And then on top of that, then making sure that it's actually actionable, that you can you can do something about it. So testing and testing and testing that plan. And it can be done by business unit. It can be done um, across verticals, um, you know, people who are involved in certain projects, whether it's, you know, on-prem or cloud or whatever it might be. So being, and I, I hate the expression agile, but being agile and adaptable to what is happening out there is is really key. This ties into the question of insurance, cyber insurance, and potentially the exclusion of ransomware incidents from that, which is being discussed in the industry. But you know the, that that isn't actually going to fix the problem. It will potentially stop you going out of business, but it won't fix the other things. You know, cash alone will not, for example, fix your reputation. So, how do you see that as fitting into the plan, or indeed, does it not really fit into the plan? It's it's an after the event type scenario, as far as I can see. You you need to be 
and, and it's you know it's it's good to have that type of insurance because you, you don't know what's going to happen. But I would say you know if you're patching right, if you're doing the basics regularly, then you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in a position that you're you're getting to be a hard nut to crack. Um, we know that ransomware is very broad and it looks for almost the lowest common denominator. So if if something is going, if there's a patch missing, like we've seen lots with um, Exchange recently um, in the cloud, if we see those happening, make sure you're patching as quick as you can, especially your internet-facing services, constantly um, pen testing or having some sort of assurance work around different parts of your organization. And then once you feel that you're in a good place, Test all of that then with um, a red team or a purple team that looks then at more than just the technological part of it, but the people, the process, and the technology. Once you've got all those things in place, then you're going to get um, recommendations as to, we spoke about segregation, maybe even some sort of um, s- segregated zone where you know your critical data is it's not out of reach, but it's really, really heavily restricted. And all of that is going to come out of like a red team report or continuous assessment. So there's lots can be done, but it needs to be proactive and before the fact. So actually then at the top level, you've got two functional pieces of work there. You've got your protection and your preparation and your defensive measures, the hard nut to crack in your language. And then you've got the aftermath if something does get through and the ability of the business to bounce back. Uh, So just a final point on that. How critical is it that your business is resilient overall? And this, I appreciate, is not exclusively to ransomware. It could deal with natural disasters. It could deal with data center problems, software errors, hardware errors, and so on. But do organizations pay enough attention to that question of resilience and the ability to recover? From my experience, some do and some don't. Um, if If you're a pure online business, you know that you're going to get have to get redundancy um, built into your into your day to day work. If you're more of a traditional brick and mortar, then from my experience, you're less likely to to understand that. Oh, if somebody pulls the plug or if something happens, have we got a plan B to be back up and running for our critical you know, internet type services within 24 48 hours? Um, but that is changing. That is changing. We are seeing lots of ransomware attacks. It is becoming big news. Um, you know, there was a time a couple of months ago where every other day on the BBC there was somebody's being hacked, ransomware, paying Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it is becoming front and centre. But, you know, businesses don't tend to be, especially large businesses, don't tend to be particularly agile in the way that they move. So these things take time. And then you add in then the, the planning and the preparation and then the execution, which we've spoken about a lot um, that that takes time. And I think I see lots of organisations going through that cycle at the moment. But it is something where you can't eliminate it entirely, of course, but you can at least limit the damage and limit the risk. Yeah, it's it's all about risk management. Um, that's, what, that's what security comes down to, is making it, um, and I mentioned it before, make it, making yourself a, a difficult nut to crack so that, the, first of all, the ransomware doesn't get in. But then if there are specific threat actors looking to get in, they're just going to move on to something else because it's too hard. It's too hard to do it. Um, so it's just making yourself um, just playing the odds, I would guess. You know, make sure you're patching your passwords. Um, it's, and it, but it sounds, I think that what I would re-emphasize, it sounds so easy for me to say, get the basics done. But I know at an enterprise level, when you're dealing with you know, large heterogeneous environments, it's actually really, really difficult and there needs to be a lot of thought and a lot of planning 
continuous planning to making sure that everything we've spoken about is done continuously. And that goes to um, business continuity planning, recovery as well. So all of those things need to be put into the, into the melting pot that is security. Ed Williams of Trustwave Spider Labs on how to react and act during and after a ransomware attack, and how it can't be seen as simply an IT security issue. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights. Our next programme will be on Wednesday, October the 20th, when we'll be looking more deeply at one of the drivers behind ransomware, cybercrime as a service. In the meantime, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course, subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.